welcome to Swarthmore Presbyterian Church's podcast. This is your host, Alex Evangelista. We are delighted you are here, and don't forget to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. You are now tuning in to the sermon, recorded for October 31st, 2021, titled, What God Can Do With Our Faithfulness, by Rev. Joyce Shin. Each of us has a story. Even if we haven't told it in a while, we have one. And it changes over time. It's the story you tell yourself when you look at old photographs and walk down memory lane, when you're making plans and achieving goals, or when nothing in life turns out the way it's supposed to. The stories of our lives encompass high points, low points, and turning points. Sometimes the turning points are so life-altering that we lose track of the storyline. At such times, we don't know where we are going and we feel lost. Margaret Atwood captures the disorientation we can feel when, as a storyteller, she observes When you're in the middle of a story, it isn't a story at all, but only a confusion, a dark roaring, a blindness, a wreckage of shattered glass and splintered wood, like a house in a whirlwind, or else a boat crushed by the icebergs, or swept over the rapids and all aboard powerless to stop it. While not all turning points in our life stories are quite this dramatic, some really are. In his most recently published book, Life is in the Transitions, author Bruce Feiler calls these dramatic turning points life quakes, more disruptive than an average unsettling life event. Every now and then, one, or more commonly, a pileup of two, three, or four of these disruptors rises to the level of truly disorienting and destabilizing us. Bruce Feiler calls these life quakes because they're higher on the Richter scale of consequence and their aftershocks can last for years. You probably know someone going through one right now You may even be holding that person in your prayers. The book of Ruth begins with a story of such a life quake. It begins in crisis, brought about by dislocation and not one, not two, but three deaths. To escape famine, Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and their two sons fled their home in Bethlehem to be refugees in Moab even though the Moabites were considered enemies of Israelites. There, however, Elimelech unexpectedly dies, leaving Naomi a widow with two sons. The two sons marry Moabite wives, and only 10 years later, Naomi's two sons also die, leaving Naomi and her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, widows. Without the support of husbands or sons, the three women are destitute and face a future of peril. 
It's no wonder that Naomi, whose name in Hebrew means pleasant, later in verse 20 says to people, call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter, for God has dealt bitterly with me. Like Job, who also suffered tremendous loss, his home and his children, Naomi believes that God's favor has turned against her. Convinced of this, Naomi urges her daughters-in-law to return to their families of origin. She wishes for them security and knows that their only hope is to leave her so that they can find new husbands for themselves. Nothing about this situation is how Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah thought their lives would unfold. Each of us carries around an expectation, perhaps unspoken, about how our lives will unfold. We might expect our lives to unfold in a linear sort of way, following a path that leads from childhood to young adulthood, to middle age, to old age, from dating to marriage to children to empty nest, from low-level job to mid-level job to senior-level job to retirement. After interviewing 225 people to gather their life stories as data for his book, Bruce Feiler found that in reality, people do not experience a linear life. And given the proliferation of various forces impinging on our lives today, as well as the greater personal freedoms we have today, our life stories are only going to involve more transitions for Gen Xers more than boomers and millennials even more than Gen Xers. Simply put, he says, the linear life is dead. He goes on to say, the once routine expectation that people will have one job, one relationship, one faith, one home, one body, one sexuality, one identity from adolescence to assisted living is deader than it has ever been, end of quote. The likelihood that each of us has or will experience at some time or another something that so destabilizes us begs the question of how we get through it. The story of Ruth has a response to this question, friendship. In the story of Ruth, the friendship among Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah is what already begins to transcend their crisis. We see them as they struggle to act in each other's best interest. Neither Ruth nor Orpah want to leave their mother-in-law, but Naomi insists. In the end, Orpah leaves, yielding to Naomi's insistence, and Ruth stays. In one of the most poignant expressions of fidelity and friendship in the Bible, Ruth, clinging to Naomi, says, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. 
where you die. I will die there. I will be buried. Together then, Naomi and Ruth make their way from Moab to Judah in search of food and security. No doubt Ruth will face great hardship because of this decision. She will be an outsider and will face discrimination, all the more enforced by the reforms that Ezra and Nehemiah had put in place during the period of Jerusalem's restoration. In an effort to restore Jerusalem, these two leaders worked to cement Israel's ethnic identity by casting out from the land foreign wives and their children, and by legislating the ethnic purity of a people. A potent critique of those reforms, the book of Ruth, reminds us that fidelity and friendship transcend ethnic and racial barriers. And despite the intent that such barriers would be a dead end for an outsider like Ruth, the book of Ruth was written to remind us of what God can do, even exponentially, when we are faithful. Ruth becomes a forebear of King David. Ruth becomes the mother of Obed, grandmother of Jesse, great-grandmother of David, and forebear of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know this? Did you know the story of Ruth is a story of our ancestry? Sometimes I forget that Ruth was our forebear. Psychologists Marshall Duke and Robin Fivush have been studying a phenomenon first noticed by Marshall Duke's spouse, Sarah, who teaches students with special needs. Sarah had observed that her students seemed better able to navigate their lives when they knew more about their family's histories. To test this thesis, Marshall and Robin asked them questions like, do you know where your grandparents met? Do you know an illness or injury your parents experienced when they were younger? Do you know what went on when you were being born? Children who scored highest on this test had a greater belief that they could navigate the world around them. Knowledge of one's family story turned out to be a strong predictor of a student's well-being. When asked why knowing our family's story would help us to navigate our own stories, Marshall explained, all family narratives take one of three shapes. First is the ascending family narrative. We came from nothing. We worked hard. We made it big. Next, the descending narrative. We used to have it all. Then we lost everything. The third and most healthful narrative Marshall found is what he calls the oscillating family narrative. We've had ups and downs in our family. Your grandfather was vice president of the bank, but his house burned down. Your aunt was the first girl to go to college, but she got breast cancer. The shape of Ruth's story would certainly fit 
the oscillating model. Your ancestor Ruth was married, but her husband died. She moved to a foreign land where the government and people did not treat her well, but she had a dear friend who stood by her side the whole time. She married again and bore a child. And can you believe that her great-grandchild became king in the very land that had discriminated against her? While Marshall's study focused on children, I think the same can be said about people in general. Those who know that life's stories include oscillations are much better prepared for life's inevitable disruptions. A further important point can be added to this. Dan McAdams, chair of the psychology department of Northwestern University, who has spent his career thinking about life stories and their meaning-making significance, teaches that the way we shape the stories affects the meaning we take from them. Two common ways in which stories are told, contamination narratives and redemption narratives. In contamination narratives, we describe major events as making our lives worse. Whether the story is positive or negative, the story we tell about it ends on a downer. In redemption narratives, we describe major events as making our lives better. Whether the story is positive or negative, the story ends with a positive meaning. The way we get meaning from a story, whether the story is positive or negative, is a choice that we make. While the life quakes that we undergo are often not a choice, we nevertheless have a choice in how we tell our story. As a people who have been formed by water and the spirit, our ancestors are Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, and Samuel. They are Naomi and Ruth, Obed and Jesse, and David and Jesus. Our ancestors include the disciples, the martyrs, the reformers, and the saints of this church. None of their stories set us up to expect a linear progression of events that leads straight to a happy ending. No, but because of our faith in a redemptive God, we choose to be a people who, despite all the circumstances and events that could lead us to a dead end, trust that God can and will do something even exponentially great with our faithfulness. May that too become part of the story of God's people. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the sermon, recorded for October 31st, 2021, titled, What God Can Do With Our Faithfulness, by Reverend Joyce Shin. We'll see you soon, and may the peace of Christ be with you.